Good morning, church. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship together at Faith Community United Methodist Church on this World Communion Sunday. I would encourage you to find the attendance pads that are in the pews and fill those out, pass them along to others worshiping beside you so we have a record of your presence here in worship with us this morning. And as you do that, I'd say greetings to those worshiping online with us as well. We're glad that you have joined us and uh, we hold you in spirit with us as we all worship together. It is World Communion Sunday. We are continuing to use these prepackaged communion kits for our communion. They're on the table out in the narthex. Hopefully you got one on your way in. If not, feel free to go out and get one. There are two seals on this. The uh, very sheer clear plastic holds the bread at the very top, and you'll take that part off first, and then the one underneath it seals the juice in. So I uh, have these ready for uh, communion at the end of the service. I would encourage you, you, you may have seen a, a painting right outside uh, the sanctuary as you came in. That is one of Gary Blevins' uh, paintings, and uh, there are a whole lot more like that down in the fellowship hall. So I would encourage you, after the worship service, before you go to Sunday school, or after you go to Sunday school, before you leave, uh, make sure that you stop into the fellowship hall and check out Gary's uh, art gallery down there. Uh, appreciate his paintings. Thank you, Gary, for sharing those with us. They'll be down there all morning, so make sure that you stop in and, uh, and get a look at those and, and appreciate that, that wonderful artwork. Uh, the announcements are in your bulletin. Make sure you take that with you and take a look at it so that you see what's going on. There's uh, a reminder about Coins for Missions next Sunday, an announcement about our new uh, church treasurer, and uh, several other things that you'll want to make note of. We are here together this morning to offer ourselves in worship to God, so I invite you to stand as you're able for our call to worship. We are the people of God. And tradition. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. For there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. We are one in God's Spirit. We are one, and together we remember our Lord Jesus. For we are the people of redemption. He gave himself up for us so we could be reconciled to God. Come, let us worship the God of our salvation. And can we join together in our opening hymn, Christ for the World We Sing, number 568.
You may be seated and join with me in our opening prayer found in your bulletin. Jesus Christ, Lord of the Church, we rejoice that you have formed your people into one body comprised of believers of every race and nation. Your salvation has reached to the ends of the earth and to all generations. We praise and thank you that your gospel has reached us and that our voices will join those of many languages this day to proclaim your praise. Accept our praise, purify our hearts, instruct us in your word, feed us at your table, and visit us with your spirit that we may follow in the ways of faith to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And our prayer hymn for today is Children of the Heavenly Father, number 141. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we are blessed to be your children, to be gathered into your family, to be gathered together by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for laying your claim upon us. Thank you for that redemption in Jesus Christ that brings us into your family. And thank you for the unity that we share with Jesus Christ and with all of those others throughout the world and throughout history that he has brought into this family to be our brothers and sisters. Thank you for those who have gone before us in the faith and have shown us the way of perseverance, the way of faithfulness through their example, through their love. By their teachings have passed on the truth of the gospel so that we too might receive that word and might enter joyfully into your kingdom because of it. Thank you, Lord, for all of the faithful of this world today, of every country and race who have given themselves over to you because you have laid your claim upon them. May we feel a true kinship with each one. And may we know that responsibility that comes with being your people, being your family, that we might 
respond in love to all of the needs in this world, knowing that you are answering prayers even through us. Thank you for that great privilege, Lord, of being your people, of being your servants. We lift up to you now those who we know are going through times of need right now. And we lift them up to you in confidence, knowing that you are a good and gracious Lord, that you are powerful and eager to respond in all of our needs. And so we thank you for that answered prayer. We thank you for giving us all that we need for life in this world and for entry into the kingdom through your Son, who is our Savior and our Lord Jesus the Christ. And it is in his name now that we offer our worship and our praise as we offer to you the prayer that he has taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to offer ourselves to God in praise as we offer our tithes and our offerings as the ushers come to wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. Loving God, you have seen our needs and have come to us. At this time, we think of others, and our minds and hearts reach out to them through this act of giving. There are so many who are hurting in this world. Some are right here in our own community. Some are in distant lands. Since we are all a part of your family, we share what we have. We rejoice that we can participate in this act of sharing your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Please.
Elaine, I'm going to have you hold off for just a minute because I mentioned during the announcements that we have a new church treasurer, but I neglected the fact that she's actually here today to be introduced. So I'm going to have Becky Coltis come up. Becky is our chair of the Staff Parish Relations Committee, and she's going to introduce our new treasurer. Good morning, everybody. We are delighted to have Jennifer Damron and her family with us today. And um, as many of you have already seen her in the office, we hope that you will stop by and um, say hello. Jennifer comes to us from a long background in accounting, and we are extremely blessed. This isn't exactly a position you go out and fill every day, as many of you know. Um, She has over 20 years experience in accounting, uh, an undergraduate degree from Wright State in accounting, and an MBA from the University of Dayton. Has um, spent over 20 years working with accounting, and first in the um, corporate world, and um, for the last several years with nonprofits. So we are very pleased to have her and um, hope that as you stop by the office, you will come in. She was happy to see a few familiar faces today and people who said hello. So um, we were asked at the ad board to have uh, an opportunity for her to be here with us and to have you have a chance to put a name with a face. So thank you. And give her, please, a, a strong faith community welcome. Thank you, Stephanie. That was lovely. And welcome, Jennifer. Our scripture lesson today is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Now, God did not subject the coming world, about which we are speaking, to angels. But someone has testified somewhere, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them. But we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. as I have already mentioned, today is World Communion Sunday. It's a day when Christian churches of many various denominations all around the world celebrate together the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's a day that celebrates the fact that we are all, despite our differences in language and customs and manner of worship and even doctrine, we are all of us one in Christ. The title that I took for today's sermon all of one father, is a nod to the theme of World Communion Sunday, the fact that all Christians, regardless of what country we were born in or what century we live in or what denomination we call our own, all come from the same Heavenly Father and are all brothers and sisters of Christ. The phrase, all of one father, is taken directly from our scripture reading that you just heard 
Hebrews 2, verse 11, for the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. Turns out, though, that that isn't exactly a literal translation of that verse. The word Father isn't actually there. Though it might be implied, literally the verse verse says, for the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. All of one what? Well, the context and indeed the rest of the verse make it clear that they are all of one Father. But there's a reason that the author didn't put that word in there. The phrase as it is written actually has a double meaning. Father is only half of it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to the beginning of the passage. We begin at verse 5. Now God did not subject the world, the coming world, about which we are speaking, to angels. There's a lot of talk about angels in this section of Hebrews, probably more so than any other book of the Bible. In fact, just shortly before this verse, Hebrews actually provides a definition of an angel. Hebrews 1.14, are not angels spirits in the divine service sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? It's phrased as a question, but it's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is yes. That is what angels are. They are spirits in the divine service sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. They are in service to God on our behalf. They serve God for our good. But they do not. The Bible is very clear about this. Angels do not rule over us. Verse 6, but someone has testified somewhere. By the way, it's no mystery who testified to this or where. Hebrews goes on to quote Psalm 8, which was a psalm of David. The writer knows he's quoting David from Psalm 8, and he knows that his audience knows that he's quoting David from Psalm 8. Saying someone has testified somewhere is a rhetorical device, sort of like if I were to say in a sermon, didn't someone once say, judge not lest you be judged? Didn't I hear someone say, Let he who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. I'm trusting that you all know that I know who said those things and where to find them. And moreover, I'm trusting that you know who said those things. So Hebrews says, someone has testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him for a little while lower than angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. I quoted there from the English Standard Version. We, we read this morning the New Revised Standard Version, which says human beings instead of man and them instead of him. The NRSV is helpful for the fact that it, it makes it more clear that Psalm 8, what, what Psalm 8 meant in its original context. The Psalm of David marvels at the relationship that exists between God and humankind. David looks out over the expanse of the universe and the wonders of creation, and he's just overwhelmed at the thought of a God so immense, so transcendent, that that God could could give a care about something as small and insignificant as measly little us. And yet, God does. God does care. And more than care, God celebrates humankind. God exalts humankind, putting us in a special position as the stewards and caretakers over all that exists. God has given, he's not given this highly exalted position to angels, he's given it to us. Psalm 8, 5 through 6 says, yet you have made him, meaning humankind, you have made him a little lower than the divine beings. Divine beings was translated in the Septuagint as angels, which is what Hebrews is quoting from. You have made him a little lower than divine beings or angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. The point that is made there in the psalm, which is echoed in Hebrews, is that there is a special relationship between God and humankind, even more special than what exists between God and angels. For angels may be spirits in God's service, but they are not the ones put in charge of creation. We are the ones who have been put in charge of creation. 
humans might be lower than angels in terms of placement in the heavenly court. Angels might be closer to God's presence in heaven than we are here on earth, but angels will never be closer in relationship with God than we are. For we are the ones that God has crowned with glory and honor, the ones to whom he has given dominion. To angels, he gives tasks. To people, he gives dominion. Dominion over the works of his hands. After quoting these verses, Hebrews then comments, Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. And then he goes on, As it is, we do not yet see everything in in subjection to them. That's not the end of the sentence, but we need to pause there to consider what he's saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying, this is how it is. God has given dominion over everything in this world to humankind. We were to subdue and to govern all of creation as the viceroys of God on earth. But we don't have to look around too long and go very far to realize that we've failed in that assignment. We do not, in fact, have everything in this world all lined up and running smoothly. We need look no further than COVID to know that humans do not have much of a handle on the things of this world. Almost two years in, and we still don't know how to gain control over this thing. And it's not just novel viruses that that pop up from time to time. It's unending wars and constant violence and environmental destruction and and people continuing to die from treatable diseases. No, we do not yet see everything in this world under the kind of subjection for which God commissioned us. But we do see Jesus, says Hebrews. That's how the sentence that I cut off continues. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here now we are invited to go back to where the passage started and see it all in the light of Jesus. It's not for nothing that in verse 5, Hebrews doesn't talk about the present world. It talks about the world to come. God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels. So when he goes on to quote from Psalm 8, he's not quoting in the light of our present world. He's quoting in light of the new creation. This isn't about the current state of things, but the new heavens and the new earth. That's where a more literal translation of the English Standard Version helps. For while the NRSV makes it clear that the original meaning of the psalm referred to all of humankind, the literal word that was used is singular. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor, You have given him dominion over the work of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, seen in the light of the new creation. Given that Hebrews says that we are talking about the world to come, this psalm refers not to humankind in general, but to Jesus. And that is exactly how Hebrews interprets it in chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see Jesus who for a little while was made lower than angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. When Hebrews quotes Psalm 8, there's a a subtle change of word. Psalm 8 verse 5 says, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. But when Hebrews translates that word little, the author uses a word that has a temporal connotation. The word doesn't just mean small, it it more generally means a short period of time. That's why in the English of Hebrews 2.7, instead of saying you have made him a little lower than angels, it gets translated, you have made him for a little while lower than angels. That wordplay is intentional, as is made clear in verse 9 when the author says, Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than angels. 
He wants it to be clear that Jesus, in his preexistence, in his very being, Jesus was and is far superior to angels. Angels can't even compare themselves to Jesus. Jesus is as far superior to angels as God is, for he is God. But for a little while, that is for about 33 years, give or take, Jesus was made lower than the angels. And it is that little while that makes all the difference. Why was Jesus made for a little while lower than angels? So that he could become human. So that he could be everything that Psalm 8 says that we were meant to be. So that he could save us. The passage goes on to say that Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. That word perfect. He was made perfect through sufferings. That, that word's not about moral perfection. It's not that Jesus was somehow not morally perfect until he suffered. He was morally perfect all along. Jesus was without sin from the beginning, and he remained sinless right to the end. What the word perfect means is complete, whole, all things being fulfilled. Christ is our atonement. His sacrifice is what takes away our sin. But he couldn't be that atonement if he were not 100% like us. Why did he have to suffer to be made perfect? Because without suffering, he would not be like us. To be completely human, Jesus had to suffer, even suffering There were people back in the time that this book of Hebrews was written who claimed that Jesus wasn't really human. He just appeared human so that we could relate to him. He didn't really suffer and die because how could God suffer and die? But the Christian scriptures make it clear. In addition to being fully God, Jesus became fully human. He suffered and he died. And that was the only way that he could destroy death for us by becoming like us so that he could take all of our pain and all of our punishment upon himself. Later in chapter 2, the, the writer of Hebrews goes on, since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death, that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. There's that mention of angels again. Angels are not the ones given the responsibility of dominion, and they are not the ones given the promise of salvation. Jesus did not come for the angels. He came for human beings. Therefore, Hebrews goes on, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people because he himself was tested by what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. Here's the point. He could not save us if he did not become like us in every way. And that means even in suffering and death. That is the punishment, the, the result of sin, suffering and death. And Jesus took that upon himself, even though he had never sinned. Even though he had no sin within him, he took all of our sin upon himself 
so that the sufferings that He would endure and the death that He would die would be for our sake. Suffered on our behalf. The atonement for our sin. The sacrifice to God that takes our sin away. That's why going back to verse 10, it says that the pioneer of our salvation was made perfect through sufferings. His sufferings completed all that was necessary for Him to be united with us so that we could be united in Him. That's why going back to verse 9, it says that Jesus is now crowned with glory and honor because of the sufferings of death. It was through the sufferings of death that Christ fulfilled all righteousness, fulfilled all Scripture. And it was through His absolute faithfulness, culminating in the sufferings of death, that Jesus fulfilled all that was necessary to redeem humankind, crowning Him with glory and honor. It's through that sacrifice of atonement that Jesus sanctifies, makes us holy, redeems for eternity all those who are united with Him in faith. So now back to verse 11 with which I began. For the one who sanctifies, meaning Jesus, and those who are sanctified, meaning us and all who believe upon Him for salvation, For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one. All of one what? All of one. All are are of one Father, yes. The rest of the verse goes on. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus because we can claim the same Heavenly Father. And we can all claim the same Heavenly Father because of the atonement He made on our behalf. We've been adopted into God's family so that we will share the same inheritance that belongs to Jesus. We will likewise be crowned with glory and honor and with eternal life. But it's not just that we are from the one Father. We are also from the one humanity. Were it not so then He could not unite with us. And if He could not unite with us, then we could not be reconciled to the Father. We are of one flesh and blood. We are of one in suffering. We are of one in sorrow. We are one with Him in death. And through His death, we are one with Him in resurrection life. Because we are united with Jesus in a common humanity we are also united with Him in a common salvation. All those who share in the one faith. And by the one faith, I don't mean Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or Pentecostal. I mean the one faith of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. We are all of one grace, all sharing in the same inheritance. We are all heirs of that one promise to be crowned with glory and honor, even higher than the angels in the world that is to come. Thanks be to God. Amen. I invite you now to join with me in the prayer of the great thanksgiving as we prepare for the sacrament of Holy Communion. You can find it in the hymnals uh, on page 13. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets 
who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. At his ascension, you exalted him to sit at your right hand forevermore. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. I invite you now to take the piece of bread. the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. The cup of salvation poured out in the blood of Jesus Christ. Take and drink in remembrance of him. Let us pray. O precious Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. We thank you for that sacrifice of atonement that atoned for all of our sins, that washed them away forever, made us clean, made us pure and holy, brought us into God's presence. We thank you for that sacrifice and for your grace which is always upon us and pray for your Holy Spirit always to be within us, empowering us to live the lives to which you have called us. We thank you. Amen. I invite you to stand now as you're able for our closing hymn, which is uh, number 98 in the hymnals, To God Be the Glory.
Great things He hath done indeed. Go now in His grace and live by His Spirit. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.